listening to UWA Alumni's Pursue Inclusion podcast series. Thanks for downloading this episode. UWA is committed to an inclusive society where every life is respected as unique and valuable. Visit our website at pursueinclusion.uwa.edu.au to see how you can join with others in the UWA community to create positive change. Welcome to the Pursue Inclusion UWA podcast series. This is your host, Dr. James Kelly. I'm the host of Executives After Hours podcast, as well as the forthcoming book, The Crucible's Gift, Five Lessons from Authentic Leaders Who Thrive in Adversity. Today on this episode, I have the pleasure to speak with Peter Redding. Peter is the legal counsel for the Equal Opportunities Commission in Hong Kong. Hi, Peter. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Uh, Thanks for having me. I think I did your intro for you. Sorry. (laughs) That's okay. Yeah. Well, thanks for partaking in this Pursue Inclusion UWA. This is a really fantastic initiative that that they're doing, and I'm so grateful to be a part of it. And they thought that you would add a lot of value to this podcast series. And so if you're ready, let's dive in and let me ask you the six questions around inclusion and diversity. Are you ready to go? Yeah, sure, James. Awesome. So – Question one, in a world where discord gets all the headlines, I mean, you know, being American, it's every day and it's quite horrific at times. Do you believe that most people in the world really want inclusion over discord? Yeah, well, I I really do believe that, you know, in terms of my work over the last 20 years since I graduated from UWA, I've been working as a, a human rights lawyer most of that time around the world. And although uh, there is a lot of um, inequality and discrimination, whatever country you're, you're in, there are also, uh, I think, common values that people have in terms of that we should strive to treating people equally, to respecting people's human rights. And overall, I think that that's why we, well, internationally, still strive for those uh, values wherever we live. But do you think that just based on that, I mean, you can look anywhere around the globe, especially in the developed community or developed um, world, that I feel like we're getting more siloed, right? So how do you do your job when more and more communities, whether it's third world or, or first world, are becoming more siloed? Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. If you look at the rise of nationalism, places like the US or Brexit sort of pulling away from Europe, at least uh, some of the UK wanted to, <laughs> that, that's that's definitely true. Although, on the other hand, I think there's also been a drive in some other parts of the world to, to greater respect for, for human rights. So if you look at what happened with the refugees that have been flooding into different parts of the world, some some countries have been much more progressive in terms of recognizing that these people are fleeing, fleeing persecution and that we all have a duty to protect them. So for example, you look at countries like Germany, you know, they've accepted huge numbers, but also countries that are neighbors to, to some of these uh, areas, such as Turkey, um, have accepted huge numbers of refugees. So that is that is the case of more siloed. But on the other hand, you know, there are these there are these common values which I think we should all bear in mind. And the same applies for for Australia in the way we treat uh, refugees and the issue of uh, offshore detention. You know. So why do you think it's so hard though? I mean, Australia is a great example. You know, and in terms of. They really want to have this sense of inclusion, but yet they really struggle to do it. Why do you think there's this pushback, you know, with these detention centers? I understand why there's pushback for the detention centers. My question is, why do you think it's difficult as a, from a governmental standpoint to really 
be more proactive in that inclusion side of it. Yeah. Well, I think issues of refugees are, they are, well, on the one hand, you know, I think governments are fearful of the more refugees that come, the more possible strain on resources and so on. So, I mean, I think they're worried about sort of floodgates situation. But, for example, you know, Australia, in terms of the, the numbers of refugees or asylum seekers it gets, compared to many other countries around the world, it's it's insignificant. But I think, you know, why is it difficult? I think because... Is it personal bias, usually? Like... Well, I think there is a side of uh, a side of uh, humanity that is fearful of others, and that includes people who are, you know, thought to be sort of outsiders. But then, if you look at the history of Australia and many other New World countries like the U.S. and Canada and so on, you know, we've built our um, societies on immigrant immigrants and including refugees. So, so you know, yeah, I think I think the problem is that sometimes people have short short memories about their, <laughs> in their own histories. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of an interesting... I mean, I feel like one, one developed country that does a tremendous job in this, at least through what I've read, is Canada, you know? Um, yeah. They're really progressive and in, in, in for the most part how they take refugees in and how they incorporate them or include them in society. Do you think there's a lot of lessons that other countries could probably bear from that? Yeah, I mean, um, I'm not an expert on uh, the situation in Canada, but I do know from diplomats I know in uh, here that are Canadian that um, they are very progressive on many issues of equality, not just refugees, but other issues such as uh, LGBT rights. Although, on the other hand, they, um, they have been criticized for their policies relating to their indigenous communities. So it's not it's not all good news for for Canada, but you know, I think I think it's about leadership, and uh, I think Justin Trudeau has provided that leadership in terms of promoting human rights and equality in all that they do as a government. And so I think that's what can be learned from other countries: is that you know you need a government that is willing to put the rights of minorities and and vulnerable groups at the forefront of all of their uh, policies. So why do you think we need inclusion? Well, inclusion is, I think, a very broad term. Um, in terms of the, the work that um, I do, inclusion in terms of that you should promote sort of understanding and inclusion of different groups in society is, is directly created, sorry, uh, linked to respecting people, treating people in a, in, a, in a dignified manner, in an equal manner and without discrimination. So... To me, inclusion is directly related to broader quality and human rights issues in society. So it's it's needed from a sort of, uh, I think, business perspective because inclusion makes people perform better, for example, in workplaces. But it's also very important from a, from a rights perspective to ensure that people are treated equally and without um, discrimination. So I, I guess that kind of leads me to the question of why is this why is this concept of inclusion so important to to Peter? Uh, well, yeah, a lot of people ask me that. Back when I was in law school in um, UWA, I think the first uh, legal course that I really got inspired by was the one on human rights that I did, and since then I. I sort of have gone down the path of working in human rights. And, and I think, uh, to me, it's really important because, you know, I've experienced discrimination. I know what it feels like uh, in terms of racial discrimination. So Explain that. Like, how do you mean that? 
But I remember being back in uh, school in Perth and being discriminated in primary school in terms of being called a uh, chink or uh, whatever it was, you know, because I'm I'm uh, mixed race myself. You know, if you've if you've experienced those sort of things, you can either do one of two things: you can run away from it, or you can uh, try and do something in your life to make a difference for everyone that's experiencing those sorts of problems. And obviously, it's not just about issues of race; it could be as I said, issues of sexual orientation. It could be for people who are disabled. Uh, obviously, women face a lot of discrimination and harassment in society. Yeah, so I've, I've worked on all those sorts of issues over the last uh, 20 years or so. Do you, do you also get that sense of justice from your parents? Yeah, I think so, well, at least in terms of uh, my my mum. She's sort of very righteous in that sense. Um, <laughs> But I think, yeah, I think it's come from my um, sort of uh, education, and, and I think you know, having a having a law degree is 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 very helpful in the sense of you know, there's the whole aspect of ethics and and uh, which which you're taught as a lawyer, which is directly related to issues of human rights as well. I think a legal a legal training hopefully uh, assists you with that uh, that sort of work. Do you do you remember that professor that that you had? That was the, that was for the law class that kind of made you think like, oh, I'm really interested in this. Yeah, it's funny you just asked me that. I, I can't call his name right now, but um, <laughs> the, uh, it was the topic. It's the topic that had the influence. <laughs> yeah, but the other thing I did was uh, went on exchange to to France for a year, which was the first year that the uh, UWA Law School had an exchange with um, a French university, and as part of that. I basically specialized in international human rights law, you know, so that was really useful as well. So, I mean, I would recommend to anyone that's interested in working in these sorts of issues that they uh, get out there and uh, experience work in, in other parts of the world, you know, so they can gain uh, experience and exposure. Of, you've almost made a living issues. out of, it, of yourself, you know what I mean? Like you've lived in all different parts of the world now around human rights. So for you, I would imagine it's heightened your sense of... of wanting to create environments that are inclusive that's right and and in each country you know uh you experience different things i mean every country has problems of inequality as i said every country has problems of discrimination they they may be you know obviously different in in different parts of the world but there are you know commonalities the the other thing also is i think it's good to get an experience of working in these issues from different perspectives uh, and i've worked for governments i've worked for ngos i've worked for national human rights institutions and i've worked for the private sector so i think if you if you work for all of those you can see the the different angles to all of these issues as well which are you know quite different yeah i imagine it helps you when you have to make decisions a lot a lot you're a lot more holistic in your decision making process if you will yes and uh you know governments governments are coming from certain perspectives they're obviously always thinking in, in the political angle mm -hmm. and what's going to get them re-elected um, sometimes that's 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 not consistent with yeah. uh, you know obviously inclusion and equality. Whereas if you're working for a national human rights institution, obviously you you're you're independent and you're tr trying to provide independent advice to government. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's good to it's good to get experience on all those issues. So then, how do you foster inclusion in the work that you do? Well, at the moment, I'm working as yeah legal counsel at the Equal Opportunities Commission, and that's Hong Kong's statutory equality body, which promotes equality on all grounds, such as sex, disability, race, family status. And so the work we do in the legal team 
is either about advocating for legal change. So, for example, I'm leading the current proposals to reform the anti-discrimination laws in Hong Kong. My work is about advocacy and, and policy and uh, influencing the government. Uh, so, yeah, it's quite a big task. Yeah, right. Sounds, sounds like a massive task, actually. So, so could you, can you give me an example or give us an example of inclusion in real life like that you see? Yeah, so a, a good example is, um, you know, in relation to disabled people in, in Hong Kong, there are still big problems about there not being enough disabled people in employment or problems that they face in terms of education, problems that they face in terms of the physical environment, you know, not being able to get around on public transport. So one of the one of the proposals that we've made, which is consistent with international human rights obligations, is that there be a duty to provide reasonable accommodation or reasonable adjustments for disabled people. And that means, for example, if a, an employee who is disabled, say they can't get around their office or get to the office properly, the employer would have to try and adjust you know, their work environment to make sure that they can do that so that they can obviously have equal opportunities in the workplace. Yeah, so it's, it's about having, a, having changes in the law which would help disabled people to be better included and have equal opportunities in, in all aspects of public life, such as employment, education and so on. Awesome. All right, last question. Thank you for your time, Peter. I appreciate it. Many people go beyond diversity in their thinking about inclusion. Or sorry, many people never go beyond diversity in thinking about inclusion. So I guess the, the, the bigger question is, how do we create a society that does more than just accept differences? Like how do we get people to engage constructively with each other and embrace the differences as part of that? Well, I think there are different angles to that. First of all, you have governments, and, and as I said, they have a crucial role to play in society in, in helping to create that environment where it's not just about respecting diversity, but promoting equality. So, for example, human rights education is crucial, and I think all governments should have policies that all school students, you know, from primary school, high school, as part of the curriculum, they teach kids about equality and human rights and, and why it's important, which, which relates directly to issues of also, you know, respecting diversity and promoting diversity in, in different parts of life. Isn't that, so isn't, that, that a, isn't that a challenge, though, Peter? I mean, I was just thinking from, from my perspective where when I lived in Philadelphia, I'm in the Middle East now, but when I lived in Philadelphia, you know, my, my two older children went to a Catholic grade school. And in that Catholic grade school, they preached diversity and inclusion. However, everybody around them was white. And so how do you actually practice that and employ that when you're never around, you know, to lack of a better term, quote unquote, the other set of cultures or the other ethnic backgrounds? Do you see the challenge yeah. that I'm coming up with there? Like, I feel like, yeah. The, that's right. Yeah. Well, no, I think that, that can be difficult, especially where some private schools obviously have their own, they have their right to formulate their own policies and, and in terms of, the, you know, the makeup of, of the schools. But I think certainly in public schools, you know, you can try to ensure that there is diversity within the schools. Um, I mean, but it, but it should be encouraged uh, also in, in private schools as well. You know, I mean, I think although they can't be forced, you can, with governments, try to make sure that the private schools curriculums and, and, and you can create the situation like you can create the environment that helps foster that particular 
Yes, mm. and and then the other the other crucial sector is the the private sector, which I you know I also mentioned because you know they they in terms of employment and services around the world have a have an increasingly important role in terms of promoting equality, not just because you know they can be held liable if they breach people's rights, but also you know increasingly they're taking an active role on on issues of diversity and inclusion. You know you can see that with huge multinational corporations engaging in advocacy and speaking up for where human rights are being abused, such for example you know where factory workers are having their rights abused in in some developing parts of the world. So I think the private sector has a crucial role in terms of not just, as, I, as you said, promoting diversity, but more substantial issues about equality and, and, and respect for human rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, awesome. yeah. That's awesome. Well, Peter Redding, thank you for your time and energy and willingness to be part of this Pursue Inclusion UWA initiative. You're welcome. And uh, I hope it goes well and, and look forward to catching up uh, with people in Perth sometime soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to UWA Alumni's Pursue Inclusion episode. Make the commitment to leave no one behind by taking part in our movement towards an inclusive society. Stand up for inclusion on November 4th. Details on the website pursueinclusion.uwa.edu.au.